Good evening. I guess we'll go ahead and get started. That will be in Ephesians 2 tonight. Ephesians 2, we'll be reading 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together, uh, this meeting of the body, and we ask that, that this word just bring you praises and, and glorify your name, and that it build up and exhort the body, and that uh, your word ring true, and that it falls upon good soil, and that uh, we may learn of your immeasurable mercy and grace and the riches that you have heaped upon us in Christ Jesus. We just ask that you continue to, to sanctify us in Christ Jesus, allow us to walk according to your ways, glorify and praise you in our ways, in our words, and our deeds. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the design of the apostle in this chapter is to magnify the riches of divine grace in the effectual calling and salvation of sinners by Christ Jesus in order to which he describes the saddest state therein by nature and before conversion, even God's elect among the Jews and especially among the Gentiles. And then observes how peace is made for and between them both by Christ, the peacemaker, and the various privileges and blessings which both enjoy. Verse 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The apostle reminds the Ephesus saints and us that we were dead to God in any form of righteousness, which we may have thought we had. And while left in that state of death, we were willingly walking with the rest of mankind according to its and our natural course. Mankind is willingly following the prince of the power of the air, which continues to be at work in those who continue to be sons of disobedience. Isaiah 1.15 Isaiah 1.15 When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood, and we'll continue into 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Here, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he's, he's telling them that he hides his eyes from them that are praying due to their evil works. Not because God is shunning them of his own accord because of him wanting to shun them. But it's because of their evil deeds. And that their prayers, they think that they have a righteousness of their own and that they are praying and that they are being heard because of their own righteousness. But he's letting them know full well that he, he will hide his eyes from them. Uh, Isaiah 64, 6 and 7. Isaiah 64, 6 and 7, We have all become like one who is unclean, 
and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Again, here we can see that it is our own iniquities and our own sin that causes God to turn His face from us. He's, he's not turning His face from us because of displeasure, um, per se, but it's our own iniquity. So God cannot be blamed that He's turning His face from us. It is, it is our own doing and uh, our own righteous, quote-unquote, deeds that we feel we have that we can approach God, which obviously we cannot. Uh, James 1 We'll start in 13, James 1, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So again here we're just pointing out that it is our own lust and our own desires that turns us from God, and God cannot be blamed for our iniquity or for Him hiding His face from us in our iniquity. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Verse 3, Ephesians 2, verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of, our, of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So here the apostle, he makes an inclusion here of himself, along with his audience, that we all have lived in the passions of our flesh. He uses the term lived, indicating that this wasn't a fleeting or a temporary passion, but it was our habitation in our everyday existence. The corruption of our nature, which is opposed to the Spirit. Romans 1.32, to point this out as an example. Romans 1.32, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So here is proof that, um, that it, was a, it wasn't just a fleeting passion, that it was, it was where they lived. And they not only practiced it, but they welcomed others to practice it and actually, uh, not, it, it, I guess, enticed them and, and plus applauded them for, for living in that sinful lifestyle. Second uh, Corinthians twelve twenty one for another example. I fear that when I come again, may my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Here the apostle is saying that he fears that they are continuing to live in their sin even though they've heard the truth and know to repent and turn from those things. He, he fears that he may have to have the talk with them again, for lack of better words. <laughs> All right, we'll finish out in three. Uh, verse three. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Here the apostle specifies that while living in the passions of our flesh, we gave no inclination to battle or say no to those passions, but carried them out to fulfillment as they were presented, thought up, or craved. Uh, let's turn to Romans again for some examples. Romans 8. We'll start in verse 5, Romans 8, 5. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh, Romans 7, 5. For while, we, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So again, just another example of the fact that we were living in those passions and that we were not uh, battling them or saying no to them. We were just, that was our habitation. That was where we lived. Uh, and one last, uh, sorry, First John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Uh, picking up in the last part of verse 3, And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The apostle here in this last part of verse 3 drives home the fact that this was our very nature. We were wrathful persons, living in malice, hating God, and hating one another. And deserving of the wrath of God. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 12-14. Second Peter 2, 12-14. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, is insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. One last one, verse 3, Titus 3.3. Uh, 3. Titus 3.3, 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Gill says, Mercy is a perfection of the divine nature, and is essential to God, and may be considered with respect to the objects of it, either as general, extending to all men in a providential way. Some examples of this are Psalm 145, 9. Psalm 145.9 The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. So here we see that, as Gil said, that either as general, extending to all men in a providential way is just proof that, that God is, uh, he is gracious to all, he's, he's good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Now obviously, it's not the, uh, the special grace that is reserved for His children, but the... Uh, According to that, His mercy is over all that He has made. So just proof of, of that. Matthew 5.45. Matthew 5.45. 
so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So again, here we see the example of God's graciousness to all, as he makes the sun rise on the, the just and the unjust. And one last one, Luke six thirty-five. Luke 6.35 But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And that is just showing how if we are to be as the Father, then we should be kind to the ungrateful and the evil as well. Um, which is not an easy thing to do sometimes. <laughs> uh, so, to pick back up uh, Gil finishes saying, or as special, so he's, he says either as a general, extending to all men in a providential way, which we just saw through Scripture, or as special, reaching only to some in a way of grace. For though mercy is his nature, God's nature, yet the display and exertion of it towards any object is the act of his will. And special mercy, with all the blessings and benefits of it, is only exhibited in Christ Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.30 for some examples of this. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 1.30 And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So here is, is just a an example of the special grace and the special mercy that God displays and gives to His children that He has chosen. Um, and it is only exhibited in Christ Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.11 for another example. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So here again, the apostle has went through what you were at, at one point, which we didn't read, and we just picked up in verse 11, and where he says, um, but you were, by the grace of God and the mercy of God, washed, sanctified, justified, and of course only in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of our God. And one last one for verse 4, Romans 9.16. Romans 9.16 So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So again there, we just see that it all, is, it all stems from God's mercy. Nothing that we can do, any righteousness that we may think that we have or that we have displayed, we cannot come before God with, it, with that. It's, it's only through Christ Jesus. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 5 even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Here again, the apostle reaffirms that we were dead in trespasses, both against God and our fellow man, therefore willingly breaking the commandments of God. But while reaffirming this, he then builds up his previous statement about God's nature of being rich in mercy and establishes hope within the hopeless not based upon anything they can do or say, for instance, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but brings it back to land squarely and wholly upon God. The apostle now begins to explain the, uh, the process, quote-unquote, or by what means God has made us alive, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, turn to Colossians 2.13. Colossians 2.13 And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And another example, Ezekiel 11. Ezekiel 11, starting in verse 19. And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my rules, and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Here, the prophet Ezekiel, God speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, is telling us that um, the circumcision of the, of the, the heart is and can only be done by God. Um, and it, it would be impossible for us to walk in His statutes and His rules according to how He commands us to. Uh, we would fail miserably. And we thank be to Jesus Christ that we are able now because of God doing that for us. Uh, verse, oh, sorry. Continuing in verse 5, I apologize. And so it is in Jesus, by God's grace, that you are made alive or saved. This is shown as well to be made manifest by God. The apostle is building upon the explanation in which God has made us alive while we were still dead in sin. God's mercy, God's grace, in Jesus, God's Son. Uh, Romans 5.15 for some examples. Romans 5.15 But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And 1 Corinthians 1.4 1 Corinthians 1, 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Those we can see, Christ Jesus is the means for that grace and that mercy and the sanctification and the redemption. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 6. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God is not merely, if that word merely can be attributed to what has been accomplished by Him thus far, uh, but He has not merely saved us, but has raised us up as well. So the questions that need to be asked, uh, in my mind, is raised up from what and raised up to what? Um, so God raised us up in Christ Jesus from, and so I have a list in Scripture with each one, with each bullet point. And so we can go to a few of them. We don't have to hit all of them. Um, so just, just letting you know that that's kind of how it's, I've laid it out now. So God raised us up in Christ Jesus from wicked ways. Acts 3.26. Acts 3.26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. God raised us up in Christ Jesus from sins. Acts 10.43. Acts 10.43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. God raised us up in Christ Jesus from the law. Um, Philippians 3, 8 through 9 is that scripture example. I'll go ahead and go to that as well. Then we'll skip over one or two of the next ones. Philippians 3, 8 through 9. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them uh, as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So there we see that, that the righteousness of ourselves and of our own, again, can never be worthy enough or righteous enough for us to approach God. That it's only through the man Christ Jesus and what he has done for us. And that righteousness at the end of verse 9, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, is the only way. The righteousness imputed upon us by Christ Jesus is the only way that we can approach God. Um, so God raised us up in Christ Jesus from its curse and condemnation, the law's curse and condemnation. Uh, we won't go to these scripture readings, but it is Galatians 3, 11 through 14. For those of you that are taking notes, and Romans 8, 1 through 4. Galatians 3, 11 through 14, and Romans 8, 1 through 4. God raised us up in Christ Jesus from eternal death. Uh, we'll go to John 5, 24. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And Revelation 20 and 6. Revelation 26. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And God raised us up in Christ Jesus from wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 9 through 10. First Thessalonians 1, starting in verse 9. Uh, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So due to the work of Jesus Christ and God's mercy and grace upon us through Christ Jesus, we are saved from God's wrath. God's wrath no longer lays upon us. And when God sends Jesus back to judge the earth, then we will not be having that wrath landing upon us any longer. Um, so we've covered the question, God raised us up from what? And now we'll look at God raised us up to what? So God raised us up in Christ Jesus to everlasting covenant. Isaiah 55, 3. Isaiah 55, 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So here we have the promise of everlasting covenant. As, as God called us out of our sin and our wickedness and imputed Christ's righteousness upon us, we have that, that eternal hope of an eternal covenant, that he won't leave us nor forsake us. Um, God raised us up in Christ Jesus to salvation. Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God has raised us up in Christ Jesus to righteousness, Romans 
Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Let's go ahead and continue down uh, into 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So there we can see where it is only God through Christ that has imputed righteousness upon us. And that is only done, again, that he raised us up to that righteousness through Christ Jesus and, and only through. Our, our righteousness can never allow us to approach God. Uh, God raised us up in Christ Jesus to spiritual life. First Peter 2.5 this example. First Peter 2 5. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there is as we can see that everything is is and can be and should be attributed to God's mercy, His divine grace, and always through the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, God raised us up in Christ Jesus to justification. That is uh, that example is in Romans three twenty four. I, I won't go there. Uh, I'll move ahead. God raised us up in Christ Jesus to reconciliation to God. It's found in Romans 5.11. Justification was Romans 3.24. Reconciliation to God was Romans 5.11. And then finally, God raised us up in Christ Jesus to eternal life with a glorified body. Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians, uh, verse, sorry, fifteen, verse thirty-five. But someone will ask, "How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come?" You foolish person! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. But not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection, resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So there, the apostle goes through basically everything that's, that has the, the earthly body and, and each of its own kind. And then he makes the point to say that with us, if there's a earthly body, then there's going to be a spiritual body. So that, that is our eternal hope, that if Christ was resurrected, then we also will be resurrected and, and be like Him when He resurrects us. Uh, Calvin, based upon the second half of verse 6, speaks of the resurrection and sitting in heaven are not seen by mortal eyes. Yet as if those blessings were presently in our possession... The apostle states that we have received them and illustrates the change which has taken place in our condition. When we were led from Adam to Christ, it is as if it, as if, it is as if we had been brought from the deepest hell to heaven itself. And certainly, although as respects ourselves, our salvation is still the object of our hope. And therefore, he adds in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We see here that it is the plan of God worked to perfect completion, that the immeasurable riches of God's grace, not our works, not our obedience, and not our rituals, is what has quickened us and raised us up in Christ Jesus. And it is His, or, sorry, it is His, the immeasurable riches of God's grace that will quicken us and raise us up in Christ Jesus on that last day. And this is all based upon God's kindness, and again, only in Christ. Right, let's turn to Romans 3 for some examples. Romans 3, 21 through 25. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. So here we just see again that it was God's perfect plan come to fruition through Christ Jesus. That it was never a, a, a works-based righteousness or a, a works-based salvation. That it was only and always has been faith in Jesus Christ or faith in the coming Messiah. Hebrews 2.9 Hebrews 2.9 But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And let's go ahead and go to Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And one last scripture, John 6.44. John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So here we just see examples of how it's been God's plan from the very beginning and has come to fruition um, through the man Jesus Christ and that there was no plan B or second plan. God wasn't caught by surprise um, by anyone's sin or anyone's uh, trying to approach him by their own righteousness. It is, it is and always has been God's redemptive plan through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Uh, the apostle here continues to build upon the quote-unquote process by after thoroughly explaining that it is by God's grace due to God's kindness that we are saved. It must be stated and understood that this salvation that is continuing to be addressed is not a temporal, but a spiritual salvation and was actually obtained by Christ and applied by the Spirit, who makes men aware of their need for it and gives them faith and hope in it. Uh, this, is being the, this being the reason the Apostle makes this statement the way he does, by grace, through faith, and this is a gift of God. 
the apostle has thoroughly established that grace is the gift of God, and now to ensure it is understood that none of the salvation process is of yours or any man's doing, he states how the faith that is used to have belief and hope is even from God. Uh, some examples is 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1. First Peter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So here we see that it's just another another building upon what God has done through that quote-unquote process of seeing salvation to its fruition in His chosen, or in His elect, in His children. Um, Hebrews 12. One and two. Hebrews 12, one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here we see that, that the apostle in, in Hebrews tells us that we're to look to Jesus, that He is our hope, and that He is our faith as well. So He's, he's the founder and He's the perfecter of our faith. So faith cannot come from man. We can't just magically one day begin to have faith in Jesus Christ and begin to follow Him and walk in His ways. It is, it is only the, the gift of God, and, and that is due to God regenerating our heart and giving us a heart of flesh and, and removing the heart of stone and allowing us, therefore, to have the faith that it takes to believe in, in Christ as, as our salvation. Um, Hebrews, let's go ahead and go to Hebrews 6. <coughs> Hebrews 6 and verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of, uh, of Melchizedek. So there we see that, as we've been learning in Hebrews um, on Sundays, that here Christ is our high priest, and that the high priest is the only one that can offer sacrifice for our sins, and that, again, we're in no way worthy to even begin to think that we could approach God to make sacrifices for our sins or to begin to even think about seeking after salvation by any other means other than Christ Jesus, our high priest. Um, one last scripture for verse 8, Romans 12, 3. Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So again here, we just see that God is the one that assigns our faith to us through the regeneration of our heart so that we may have faith and place it in Christ. Of course, we know that Romans also tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Um, which that increases our faith. And, and it is through the word of Christ that we continue to be sanctified and grow and, and our faith is increased and we learn to trust even more and more in Christ Jesus for our salvation. Um, all right, Ephesians 2, verse 9. 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here the word works is used to cover whatever imagination man may attribute from themselves to aid God in their salvation. It is believed by many that faith is of and from the person being saved. As Hebrews 12.2 um, stated, as well as Romans 12.3, that faith, along with every piece of that salvation so freely granted us, is completely devoid of us and completely dependent upon God. So we're just driving home, the apostles driving home again, that nothing comes from us. It's, it's, it, it's God has no need of us. It is purely by His grace, by His kindness, by His mercy that He has chosen us and drawn us out of our sin and granted us everything that, that we need for salvation. Uh, 2 Timothy 1 2 Timothy 1, we'll start in verse 8. 2 Timothy 1 and 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the, power, for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So there, the apostle just drives home the fact, again, that it is nothing of ourselves. That, as it, sits, as it states in, uh, in verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of God's own purpose and grace. And again, it's always through Christ Jesus. And that even states there before the ages began. So again, there was no plan B. This was God's plan from the very beginning of the ages coming to fruition, and we're, we are uh, <coughs> blessed by that. Um, Romans 3, 27. Romans 3, starting in verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is, it God that, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So there we just see that, that the Jews who had the oracles of God and the, it, it was the special chosen of God in that race, um, he's, he's making the statement that here that faith and that salvation and that grace and that mercy have been extended to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus. So he's unifying them into one body of Christ. Um, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship, meaning He is the beginning of the work in us, and He is the end result. This workmanship includes both Jews and Gentiles, by nature children of wrath, sons of disobedience, the faith needed to believe in Christ, the justification brought about by that belief, and the sanctifying process throughout our lives to the final manifestation of our eternal glorified body has always and will always be a work of God so that there is no room for boasting on our part. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now here, one could say, well, that it's dependent upon me. 
you, you do have a responsibility. So once salvation has been placed in your life and you've been regenerated and you've placed your faith in Christ, which that has nothing to do with you again, um, you are to now say no to sin through the work of the Spirit. Um, and, and that's the sanctification. It, the sanctification of the Spirit is what allows you to be able to say no to sin and to be able to know and discern good from evil and therefore walk from and or leave your old manner of life and turn to your new manner of life in Christ Jesus. Um, Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And one last verse, Titus. Titus 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So here we see again that it falls squarely upon God and squarely upon the work, squarely upon the work of Jesus Christ. For even though uh, we're told to, to turn from our old lifestyle and to embrace our new godly lifestyle, our righteous lifestyle, it, it plainly says here that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce. So it's teaching us. The more that we hear the word of Christ, the more that we get the word in us, then that sanctifying process can continue. And it's easier to renounce, obviously not to perfection. We'll never see perfection upon this side of heaven. Um, But we can, again, discern good from evil and renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and keep our eyes fixed upon Christ. So in conclusion, let us keep in mind that our entire salvation process is based upon the good pleasure, the good will, and the calling of God. Therefore, when man begins to rail against you for whatever reason that they have deemed justified in their eyes, they cannot negate the work of God, which has resulted in your salvation, and proclaim the judgment of hell upon you. In doing so, they have placed themselves in the very place of God.